My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. Hello there, Animal. Very happy to have you join me because you're a comrade in co-evolving of a lot of my own journey in regenerative thinking and permaculture thinking, the collaborations we've been doing now for a long time on our permaculture design courses. Yeah, well, thanks for asking me, first of all, to be on the podcast. I've been listening to some of the other episodes and they're always very interesting, especially like hearing the, the personal stories. And I do often feel like my own personal story is a bit bland because I've never really had any sort of like major um, life change moments or you know, I can't really say like, oh, I used to be doing this. It was so different. I was in the corporate world. I was here. I was there. And then I discovered permaculture and everything changed. Why there wasn't such a dramatic, I was in the corporate world moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, now I, where I live, I'm living in my family farm in Strokestown or just outside Strokestown in Roscommon. My parents moved here in the 90s from England. And obviously we came with them as kids. I was 11 at the time. They kind of took on the, I suppose you could call it, neglected farm, sort of rundown farm, depending on your perspective. Um, there was just kind of cattle left on it. There were people living in the house here. Neglected in the sense that the hedgerows weren't managed in, in inverted commas in any way, though they weren't kind of coppiced or managed. You know, the animals are in and out of them, stuff like that. The, the ground is rather compacted, all that sort of thing. A lot of disrepair in terms of fencing and drainage and so on upkeep and it would be considered not quite marginal land it's a mix of land it's some really good soil actually and some wetter soils with rushy rush, lots of rushes um so they so yeah so they moved here they decided well they were looking to move for a long time actually for years and they eventually managed to to do so bought this 25 acres of land in Roscommon. i grew up here from the age of 11. So when they moved here, they set up as an organic farm um, and they continued what they were doing on a small scale in the UK on rented land, which was growing medicinal herbs. And they also added in other enterprises, organic pigs, sheep, and then they were doing things like buying in, kind of importing in large amounts of organic grain and putting it into smaller bags and selling it, stuff like that. So there was, there was a number of different things going on. Oh, and the market garden. <laughs> so loads of stuff, basically. <laughs> and they worked really hard. And yeah, we kind of, me and my two brothers, we grew up 
kind of doing that along with them. But I was kind of the more interested of the three at the time. Now, my brother, one of my brothers is back here as well, running a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, just started this year. So that's brilliant to have him back and his wife as well. Even though I was interested, there wasn't really any avenue provided or really obvious for how you might get involved or stay involved as anything other than a teenager doing a bit of work for your parents and getting a few bob, (laughs) you know. So I just kind of got funneled in a way down the college route. And it was my decision. There was a certain amount of kind of pride and stuff in it, going to college and getting a degree and all the rest of it. But looking back, and even at the time, I knew it wasn't really doing a lot for me. <laughs> you know, I went to college because I saw my, my other brother having a, an amazing social life. <laughs> and I thought, this looks like great fun. That's, that's what I want to do. So yeah, I did that. and But I did four years in Dublin in college. And when I got to the end of it, I was just, my body was just craving physical work. And now I did do stuff in the summers and a bit on weekends, not a huge amount on weekends, but I would have done stuff in the summers, both here at home and in other places. But when I finished the four years, I, yeah, I just was like, send me to an organic farm and give me some work. <laughs> So um, I went woofing then um, uh, with much to everyone, my parents and their friends kind of a a bit of disgust because they felt, you know, there was plenty of work around here for me to do for free if I wanted to work for someone for free. (laughs) Um, But it's not sunny here or it it wasn't at least much then. Um, So, yeah, I went to France woofing and I woofed in France for what turned out to be two years. Um, I went to quite a few different farms there discovered permaculture on the first place I went to thought it was absolute load of rubbish um way over my head and uh, then the last farm I went to kind of six months later came across it again but in a bit of a different context and it just kind of fitted neatly I guess I, I just recognized it a bit better it was in a farm mixed farm setting it was a family farm um, the first one was kind of more of a community project it just kind of all made sense to me I mean, when I arrived on the farm there, the the farmer explained the compost toilet to me and it was like, okay, I've literally just met you and you're telling me, you know, (laughs) telling me about this grand. I had encountered compost toilets on the rest of the trip, of course, but I hadn't kind of got the whole like very straight up lecture about it. (laughs) So it just made loads. And also when I arrived at that farm, it was harvest season in France, in the south of France. It was August and the place was literally dropping fruit, plums, apples, pears, nuts, hazelnuts, you know, garlic, vegetables. And it was all about harvesting and processing and and eating as well. And it was just amazing and got me started on the permaculture journey. Um, so they, while I was there, they told me, I stayed there for two years on that particular farm. And when I was there, they really encouraged me to go into a PDC, permaculture design course, which we now run together. When they first kind of suggested it to me, I was like, oh, I don't really need to do that. You know, like I'm here with you guys. I have all your books. I can ask you whatever whatever I want. <laughs> I'm working every day. Um, but I did go. I looked them up online and they looked like fun. So I went on one in England with designed visions and it was brilliant. And I, yeah, I kind of felt I, I remember feeling after the two weeks, it was a two week in- intensive. And I remember feeling like, OK, there's a bit more to permaculture than what I had thought. That was in 2009. I went back to France after that for until August. And in August, my dad was critically ill. So I came back to Ireland fairly swiftly. Uh, just left, kind of left everything in France, came back with a backpack. Still here, basically. <laughs> At that point, with you arriving back home with new ideas about permaculture and on the farm, 
that you were there and, and beginning to think about staying and doing stuff on the on your farm? Mm, yeah, so I I stayed on for about a few months anyway, and my my dad passed away. And what I kind of thought at the time was like, I'll just stay around for a few months and be with my mom, and then I'll probably go back to France, or I don't know what I'll do. But obviously, what I didn't know at the time is that that whole process takes a lot longer than a few months <laughs> losing a parent and sorting out a farm and you know all those kind of things so I t- so yeah it's kind of stayed for a year anyway and I most of that year I was really just kind of helping my mom out and doing stuff on the farm and seeing friends and you know not really thinking about making plans or anything I, I suppose I got to the point where I wasn't going back to France anyway or at least not back to that farm I knew that there was something about this permaculture thing that I was really interested in and I, I kind of wanted to follow that up. So I looked on the Permaculture Association website in the UK and they I was what I was looking for was kind of an advanced design course. I had this notion that I could be a designer. <laughs> I couldn't find an advanced design course at the time. So I did a teacher training. I went, I just thought, well, I I know I want to do something. I just kind of want to keep this this um, path going somehow. So I'll go do a teacher training. I did consider doing the the two-year course in Kinsale and I applied for that at that time. But then I just, in the end of it, I just didn't feel like going back to that school kind of college structure. So I, I didn't, I didn't go to that. So I went to the UK, did the teacher training course there. And when I came back from that, a series of fortunate events, I would say, just kind of led me into teaching permaculture in meeting different people. I met Marella Fife on that course and we did some work together, then coming back, then the, the Greenworks program started up. So that was a very generously funded program that was looking for permaculture teachers amongst other skilled people. That brought us to Cross Paths, Susie. You and I, um, then the permaculture gathering that you organised out of that with with some other people, and so all those kind of events just kept to send in a similar way. <laughs> Not many conscious decisions in this timeline, but in a similar way to being funneled into college, it was like now I felt kind of being funneled in this other direction, which I was happy with. I, I never really intended to do that much teaching, but I did. I did enjoy it. What one thing it was doing for me was just enabling me to meet so many people that were interested in permaculture and really kind of step into this kind of very invisible network. So meanwhile when I was doing this teaching it was very kind of, it was very occasional even though there was over the year there was quite a lot of it in so, at some periods the farm was still going we still had the sheep here we stopped the market garden that was a lot of work kind of daily intensive work and then having to do the market as well to maintain a certain livestock level for grants and subsidies that we were tied into and we had to maintain other things like that we were tied into in those kind of what was reps at the time the rep scheme so there wasn't really opportunity to make very quick changes in that sense and I suppose even though we had some ideas no one really here at that time had the commitment required to kind of follow up on any of those ideas so it was really just maintaining the farm at sort of the minimum level which was still quite high stress or <laughs> having livestock it wasn't really your choice at the, the beginning of the setup sort of thing especially sheep they can be a lot of maintenance organic sheep a lot of maintenance in kind of a damp summer you know you're picking off flies and checking them and picking off maggots and all the rest of it <laughs> daily <laughs> escapees and all that kind of thing but we were starting to kind of talk about forestry and I remember back in those years we did have 
couple of foresters come out to us that we had asked to come out. So we were looking to forestry for something that was kind of, well, I just love trees forever. And having then lived in France in the mountains in the forest, I was just something I just, you know, living surrounded by woodland for me is a paradise. <laughs> so I kind of had this idea that we could just have a woodland and then it ticked some other boxes in terms of cities would pay for it and would give a certain level of income. Um, and it would be, you know, environmentally friendly and low maintenance or lower maintenance than than livestock anyway. But at the time, we couldn't find anyone who would even consider facilitating our idea of what a woodland would look like under that scheme. It was a, a bit of a foray into it, but it didn't get anywhere. I remember one, <laughs> the only person, most the two foresters that came wanted to just put in big blocks of one thing, the kind of typical forestry they wanted to put in. They said, okay, this field could be ash which is good. Thankfully, now we didn't plant ash because of the dieback. This field isn't very good, so we'd put Sitka spruce in there. You know, that was kind of the the advice from them. So we, we didn't go with them because we knew that's not what we wanted. The other forester that came, who did, who would do what we wanted, vanished. That kind of got put aside again, but it came back a few years later then. And the point at which we were able to then transition into woodland, which we have now six years planted, brought mostly broadleaf woodland on 20 acres, was when five-year reps term was up and we were able to go one way or another with the farm. Um, and that also gave time, I suppose, for us to contemplate and process and kind of see where everybody was really going. But all the family members kind of wanted to go. During that time as well, as I said, I had this kind of notion that I could maybe be a designer a permaculture designer. I didn't know any permaculture designers, people that did it for a living. So I started this as in I made a website It's called Living Permaculture. So it was really just me. I was doing the diploma in permaculture design through the UK Association as well. So that was kind of the next step I took after doing that teacher training course along that track. Like I knew I didn't have enough experience to be setting something up. And it did feel a bit like imposter kind of syndrome saying, you know, I have a thing and I could do this for you. But on the other hand, I just knew that that was, that was what I wanted to do, really. So I kind of put it out there and started doing small designs for people, testing out, testing the waters. First one I did for someone kind of ended in a dead end. <laughs> they had... Um, they had a budget and they said, would you think you'd have to do all this stuff for this budget? I was like, yeah, that's loads of money. And then realized like, that's really not much money at all if you're paying people to do stuff and buying loads of materials. So um, so I learned a lot through a few, like the first couple of projects like that. Now, in fairness, those people are still clients of mine, that, that family. That's good. <laughs> it wasn't too bad for them. Living Permaculture Changed to Earth Care maybe four or five years ago. I set up as a business and I did the Start Your Own Business course through the Enterprise Board. Now we, me mainly, still mainly me, it's hopefully moving to, more towards a team. I work on all kinds of design projects from gardens to farms to agroforestry projects to rewilding to community parks. It sounds like that sounds, when I say it like that, I think, oh, it sounds great. <laughs> Still, I still feel sometimes like I don't know what I'm doing, but I certainly feel a lot more competent. And, you know, from the results, I can see that I am a lot more competent than I than I was. The diversity of the project is very interesting. Demand for permaculture design is massive. When I started, I kind of consciously, I went through lots of different iterations of how I would present it. You know, would I present it as eco-gardening? Would I present it as organic something? Would I present it as edible landscapes? And I thought, you know what? 
what I want to do is permaculture design. So that's what I'm going to present. Um, and I'm going to call it permaculture. We'll see what happens. Over the years, it's become a lot more recognized. And I would get emails every week looking through Caridora as well, looking for design advice or design consultancy or full-on design. Um, a lot of it is from gardeners or people who want a garden design. Some some is from farms and a lot more from people who, I suppose, landowners who aren't actively farming but would like to do something productive and ecological with their land. But yeah, the demand is definitely up. And especially if, then that's just presenting it as permaculture. There's so many different ways you can present it. And I'd say I'd say the demand is endless and also the need is just massive now. It was anyway, but I suppose I didn't recognise it as much. Uh, now everybody's very aware of climate emergency and biodiversity collapse and those kind of issues. And people really want to do their bit. And they, I suppose a lot of people recognize that they don't actually know what to do. And sometimes then they reach out to get some advice from someone if they have the funds or to do that, or if that's kind of their style. Other people prefer to go on a course and learn a bit. Other people learn from YouTube or whatever. It's definitely a demand for, for it as a service for anyone, including myself, who could, who would have or may have better sort of business or social enterprise or you know, that sort of a skill base could do a lot with it. You know, I, I'm certainly limited by my business skills. I wanted to ask you about where your where your thinking lies about permaculture now, as you know, you're saying as one of the responses to the, the, the converging crises of our times. Yeah, permaculture as a response to those crises, it's, it's an interesting one because We've talked about it a lot, but the origins of permaculture being white, male, coming from a colonizing culture, really from Australian, white Australian culture, that being where the discipline itself is sort of maybe not the right or maybe not the best or maybe not the most appropriate way to address these issues. It definitely has loads of practical solutions. That's what it has. Sometimes people expect it to be like a garden designer sort of a process where you come in and you do the thing and it's better because you did the thing without sort of the understanding and the appreciation of what might already be there, whether that's in a garden or farm or anywhere, or even the idea that there could be something there if a human didn't do something. That tends to be a part of the design work is getting that across to people or helping people to understand that. But even as I'm saying that, I'm like, you know, that in itself is me deciding what that person should know. Teaching that we do is a lot about enabling people to 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 unlearn and to learn themselves and to explore, and to connect as much as it is about taking on information and knowing the technical stuff. So how do you do that then? How do you kind of do that in a design sense where you're being paid to present something to somebody to get the job done? And then I suppose an ethical sense of where did all the information that we call permaculture come from and how was that kind of gathered together? Well, I don't really know, to be honest, the details of how consensual or otherwise that was. You know, there's stories of how Bill Mollison gathered the information or whatever, but nobody really knows, I guess, the detail. Maybe some people do. I certainly don't. Should we be even using all of that without 
at least at the very least acknowledging the origins of it and maybe making reparation somehow the wisdom and the information comes from somewhere and the place where it comes from is not the place that's being that's getting the benefit of you know I'm I'm selling it putting myself out there as a permaculture designer where I'm kind of at with it at the moment at least in that sort of providing service thing is like or how I try and justify it knowing at the same time that I am still living within this capitalist system I'm kind of selling my time, my skills, and I'm just, I feel like I'm just tying myself up and not even talking about this, but it's definitely on my mind all the time. This balance between being advised and feeling that you, that I should be compensated for what I'm doing because it's really important and it's quite skilled in some ways. It's hard work in other ways. So the balance between that and then feeling like, well, this should really be free for everyone. You know, this isn't my knowledge. Stuff that I've maybe tried out here and it's worked or it hasn't worked. Like, how could it be open source? Should anyone really be making a living from it? What else would I be doing to make a living if I didn't do this? Of course, why do we have to make a living in the first place? All those questions constantly kind of coming up. What are the influences that caused you to question any of the systems that you live within? Why ask those questions? Probably a few different points in time that would have kind of started me thinking about that. I would have grown up in a quite a entrepreneurial sort of household, not in any big scale, shape or form, but feeling like you could actually start something and set up as a self-employed person and just do it, kind of running a business or whatever. That's a good thing to do. When I was in France, then when I was at that, one of the things that was very different for me was the work ethic. The home here, the work ethic was always quite strong. You know, work is a good thing. Being productive is a good thing. You know, hard work is good for your body. Not in a, you know, in a good, in a, in a healthy enough way. <laughs> uh, and then when I was there in France, it was a mix of colour and also the particular family that I was living with. It was so laid back and I really couldn't get used to it at all. It was like, you just work when you feel like it. Obviously, there's some things you have to do because there's animals on the farm. But it's just so different. That would have been kind of the start of it, I'd say, where I kind of felt like. And I wouldn't say I took it on board, really. I, I couldn't get used to it at all, <laughs> even though it's really hot. Everyone else is having a snooze and I'm just there doing stuff, you know. <laughs> but I'd say it was at least a seed of it to start asking questions and to realize that there's other ways of doing stuff or not doing stuff. You know, I might have read the chapter on this came from the Aboriginal Australians, but I, I, sure, that was just, you know, that didn't really, I was just like, oh, cool, you know. Probably <laughs> lots, a series of small things and conversations with people coming up against hurdles. That's probably something else, you know, coming up against hurdles where you're trying to do something ethically or at least by your own ethics or the permaculture ethics. And realizing that if I do it like that, I'm not going to make any money. Or if I do it like that, it's going to take way too long for the person or the project. <laughs> or if I do it like that, they won't hire me because it looks totally nuts to them. So that sort of thing, those kind of hurdles. And so that would be more butting up against the capitalist system and how, how you can do it basically in that system and still maintain some sort of integrity. One of the things that I really appreciate about you is that your your willingness to ask questions like that, how can I do this and maintain integrity is a pretty good question. And, and I, I think whenever we've been exploring education together or the permaculture 
network of evolution in Ireland together, you bring those those kinds of questions about you know why should we do it like that in this in this way, allowing thinking to evolve or to shift or practice to evolve or to shift. Yeah, I definitely would, and that would be that would be something that I would have been grown up with as well. You know, it's like not necessarily exactly the same matching kind of values but close enough and the idea that you you do good in the world (laughs) it's all very protestant (laughs) yeah like worth ethics and doing good in the world and you know that you're you care about other people and you're not just out for yourself and that sort of thing which sounds very basic but you know it's I suppose it was ingrained in me from a young age and it's you know, I don't know, even when I'm saying this sounds terrible, try and make my life worthwhile or try and make some kind of contribution to the world. It's like, well, why should, in another way, in the other way where I'm not like a Protestant capitalist, it's like, well, why should you do that? You don't have to do that. <laughs> you know? You're describing of taming influences or still maintaining the values, but finding a way to do that differently. I suppose what I tend to do is do the thing and then reflect on it and then maybe a phrase or something way of explaining it comes out so at the moment for me it's really a inner wisdom and inner kind of knowledge trying to listen to that through different means mainly through meditation but I'm you know I'm certainly not a regular meditator but whenever I do try do kind of do that I always learn something kind of noticing in myself patterns like I can't really be at rest and relax until everything's done, which I'm sure is a really common pattern. Though I do know people who don't have that at all and can easily chill out and relax when there's loads of stuff to do. <laughs> Not that I can't stop, but I still have stuff on my mind. A bit more, there is already, you know, there's already enough and there is enough. And I don't have to be always thinking about, oh, when that's done, then it'll be better. Or, you know, in the farm, it's actually okay already. But that really clashes still in the mind with the climate emergency, the people that need to come here and learn stuff and all those type of things. But I'd say that's kind of my theme at the moment, really, if there's a theme, a draw to, I suppose, just feeling like the search for whether it's upskilling yourself or being more professional or whatever, it's it's kind of endless, you know, and it'll never really be satisfying. I'd still do it, but it's maybe not the driver that actually outside in the physical world isn't able to give me many more answers. It's been really nice to hear about that comes under the umbrella of the earth care. Wishing you very well. Thank you so much.